0: Welcome to Grace Community Church this morning. I have one announcement, I think is the only announcement I have, and that is that the men's camping trip uh, that got rained out a couple of weeks ago has been rescheduled for this Friday night. So if you have any questions about that, you can see Jeff Evans. Do I need to give any other details, Jeff? That's good. All right. So camping, guys, dudes day. All right. (laughs) Let's pray before we get started this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this time together this morning, Lord, this time in your word. Lord, we know that you planned for each person that's here this morning to be here today to hear this message and to hear what you have to say to each of us individually, and we just thank you for that. We praise you for your word, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, for those of you who may not have met me yet, my name is Teresa Breeding. I am the Women's Ministry Director here at Grace, and I get to speak to you today uh, as we continue our series on the parables of Jesus we're doing them in chronological order so we're actually learning the parables as Jesus told them in that same order and so I always when I think about parables I think about when I first started coming to church here at Grace many many years ago (laughs) but I was in my early 20s I was unchurched and um, I started volunteering in the children's department and at the time pastor Dennis's wife Sharon uh, was the children's ministry director and she was teaching the children about parables. And she always called the parables an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Now, I always liked that definition, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning because it was Jesus telling a story to the people that they could relate to here on earth, but it would have it would be about a heavenly concept or a spiritual truth. And so I always liked that definition. And this morning, We're going to be looking in Luke chapter 12. We're going to be studying the parable of the rich fool and the parable of the watchful servant. Luke 12 is a fairly long chapter, so I'm going to summarize a little bit of the beginning of it. um, Where we start out in Luke chapter 12, we have Jesus preaching and people coming out to hear him preach. So how many of you, if you heard that Jesus was preaching somewhere, you would go out and listen to Jesus preach? All right, I hope most of us would do that. All of us really would do that. But the good news is that every time you open your Bible, it's Jesus preaching, all right? Because Jesus is the Word of God. He's the living Word of God. And here in chapter 12, it's actually Jesus himself speaking. And so we're reading the red letters today. And it says that thousands of people came out and that they were literally trampling over each other and climbing over each other to hear what Jesus had to say. And he was, he was teaching about some pretty serious stuff. He, was, he had just finished teaching about hell at this point. And he was saying serious things like, Don't fear those who can just kill the body. Fear him who has the authority to throw you into hell. So he was talking about some pretty serious, intense, major stuff. And then in verse 13, which is where we're picking up today, it says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So this guy <laughs> raises his hand in the middle of all of this. And I mean, somehow he's made it up here, made it all the way up to Jesus to be able to ask him a question. <laughs> And he's like, oh, yeah, Jesus, you know, all that talk about hell. Whew, yeah. Well, here's what I really want to talk about. I want to talk about money. And I'm thinking, you know, he made it all the way up there to talk to Jesus, and this is what he talks about. This is the the subject that he chooses. You know, how do I get more money? It would be like somebody raising their hand right now and saying, "Um, Teresa, could you tell my wife to quit ordering from Amazon? (laughs) And we would all be like, what does that have to do with anything? But the fact is, and I think we all have to admit that very often, and maybe even today, we come in here with one thing on our mind, and we don't want to hear anything else that God has to say. We come in here with that one thing on our mind. And I assure you, every time you come through those doors, that God has something to say to you. But it may not be on what you want to hear about. Okay, it may not be on the same subject, and that may be the fact today because today we're talking about money. And, you know, we don't talk a whole lot about money around here. We don't even pass an offering plate here at Grace. Uh, We don't beg you for money or ask you for money because we believe that that's between you and God. And so we're not going to make you give any more than we would make you read your Bible or make you pray. But it's not because it's not important it's just because that, that's personal between you and God. It's very important. The Bible says that we're to give. And the Bible actually talks about money a lot. But so this guy asked Jesus to tell his brother to divide the inheritance with him. And then this is what Jesus says in verse 14. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And so the thing is that it's, it was pretty common for people to go to a rabbi to settle a dispute. And Jesus was a rabbi. And they would go to a rabbi because the rabbi was very uh, well-versed in the law. They knew the law. And if, you, if it was important to you to follow the law, then you would go to a rabbi. And so the thing is that if it's important to you to follow the law, well, Jesus summed up the law in love God and love your neighbor, right? So if we think about that, you know, is is that why this guy's asking this question? You know, he needs this money because he's going to go build an orphanage somewhere or because he just wants that money for himself? Because we have to remember that God not only hears our questions and hears our requests, but he also knows our hearts. And he knows our reasons for asking those questions. He knows our reasons for those requests. And so he, he knows. He's, he knows this guy. He goes straight to the heart of the matter. He knows that the guy just wants the money. So he's like, why are you coming to me? Why don't you just go to a financial advisor? Why not you just go to a judge? You know? He says, you're, you, you know, you're wanting help with financial problems, but you have a bigger problem than that. You, you've got some heart problems. So let's get, let's get down to that. So in verse 15... Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. And in some versions, the word greed is translated to the word covetousness. Be on guard against all kinds of covetousness. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. In other words, that's not what life's all about. We need to talk about your heart. Let's deal with that. Let's, let's move past this inheritance thing and deal with the real issue, which is your covetousness or your greed. So to covet means to yearn to possess or have something, to be consumed with desire for, or to have one's heart set on. Coveting is a big deal. We don't treat it much like it's a big deal, but it is a big deal. It made the top ten, all right? It's in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not covet. But why is coveting such a big deal? Why is wanting something such a big deal? And I think it's because sometimes we get caught up in wanting material things so much that we forget our spiritual needs. And so I think that we spend so much of our lives in the pursuit of things. You know, we spend so much time and energy and passion on the pursuit of things that if we were an outsider looking in, like, you know, someone maybe from a third world country looking in, you might could come to the conclusion that that's all Our lives are about that that's all we live for is getting that bigger better nicer thing because so much of our life is wrapped up in that pursuit but Jesus is saying here that there's so much more to life than that and that we should guard our hearts and that greed is dangerous he's saying be on your guard against it it's a real threat that we should take seriously and then he tells him a story and it's it's a lesson. It's a lesson for him and it's a lesson for us because all of God's word is for us. This is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Verse 16, and he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. So this is like a good problem to have, right? I got so much stuff, I don't know what to do with it all, you know? It's like me when I go to my kitchen and I'm looking for something to eat and I open the refrigerator and I'm like, no, and I go to the cabinet and I open the cabinet and I look and I open all my other cabinets and I'm like, we ain't got nothing to eat because that's how I talk in my real life. I try, to be, I try to use proper words up here, but in real life I'm like, we ain't got nothing to eat. You know. And it's not really that we don't have anything to eat. It's that there's nothing in there that I want to eat, right? But I say, we ain't, we ain't got nothing to eat. And, then, and, you know, really, I mean, I should be ashamed of myself for saying that, really, because I've never known what it's like to not have anything to eat. You know, maybe some of you have, but probably not very many of you have known what it's like to not have anything to eat. But we have such an abundance of things. It's like, have you ever gone to the grocery store and you come home and you've got so many groceries that you have trouble fitting them in your refrigerator and fitting them in your cabinets? Frustrating, isn't it? You know, you got to rearrange things and restack things and try to fit all your food in there. Then you discover that you got all this stuff stuffed in the back that's already expired because you forgot you had it. And you start thinking, man, I need new cabinets. Put all my food in. I need a bigger house to put my new cabinets in. (laughs) You know? We got all this stuff and still there's nothing to eat. But this farmer has more crops than he has space to store. That's his problem. Now here's his solution, verse 18. Then he said, This is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. So he's living the dream, right? Eat, drink, and be merry. He has this mindset of this, if, if I get more, if I achieve more, if I have more, then that contributes to my joy. Then I can be happy, right? And isn't that how we all view success? You know, we'd look at this guy and we'd say, he's successful. This is what it looks like to win in life, you know. In our culture, that's what success looks like, the American dream. You know, get to that point where you can eat, drink, and be merry. If we're honest, I think that's where a lot of us are working to achieve, are working to achieve. So this guy could be a role model for us. But here's the twist in the story. Verse 20, but God said to him, You fool. You fool. So, wait a minute. This guy that we're just looking at, that we're just admiring, that we're wishing that we could be like, God looks at him and God calls him a fool. But why? Because in my mind, he's kind of savvy. You know, he's had a successful farming business. He's put his money aside. He's able to retire well. You know, that's the good life. So what makes him so foolish? you know where did he go wrong we always have to remember that there's two perspectives there's always two perspectives there's the human perspective and then there's God's perspective so where did he go wrong let's look back at the story from the very beginning in verse 16 because right away in this story what do we know about this guy it says the ground of a certain what rich man so he's already rich this was before his year of plenty he was already rich and I know it can be kind of easy to type cast rich people and be like, oh, they're rich. They must be bad. But biblically, that wasn't the case. You know, in biblical times, a person who was wealthy was usually a person who was, who was blessed. You know? I mean, if you look back and think about Abraham, Abraham was rich. He had cattle. He had silver and gold. Look at, at King Solomon. Rich. Job, rich. And so this man wasn't a fool because he was wealthy, because there were plenty of good people in the Bible who were wealthy. There were plenty of corrupt wealthy people as well and corrupt poor people. Okay, so good and bad is not hinged on wealth. So it's not wrong to be wealthy. However, the Bible does have a lot of strong warnings directed towards wealthy people because it's easy to get so caught up. And your wealth, that you start to think that you don't need anything, including God, so you forget God. So we all have to be careful of that. Prosperity is a a tough test to pass, and the Bible speaks of it often. But this parable is not condemning wealth, okay? The parable is showing the foolishness of greed. And no matter where your income bracket is, this is something that we all have to be aware of. But in this case, he's already rich, yet it's not enough. So who is he thinking about? I'm going to read this story again, and I want you to notice the self-centered emphasis here. It says, The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, because we all know that great decisions come when we think to ourselves, right? When we don't consult God and we just decide on it on our own. I'm kidding. Don't write that in your journal. Um, But he says, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. So he has a pretty good trinity going on right here, right? Me, mine, I. But again, it's not wrong that his fields produce plentiful. Financial success is not the problem. It's what he did with it. It was his mindset about it. It's what he didn't do with it. It was his idea of the, increasing the amount of things in his life could make him happy. And he didn't think about others. Because those who think that their happiness is tied to prosperity in life, those people will take and hoard every blessing that comes their way. And the mistake that he made is that he assumed that this money, that, he, that this crop that he had come upon, that this blessing that he had come upon, just like, the, just like the guy with the inheritance, the farmer wasn't expecting this extra. The guy with the inheritance wasn't expecting this extra. But once it came, they assumed that this extra was there to make their lives better. But look what happens. Because this is why he's foolish says this very night your life will be demanded from you then who will get what you have prepared for yourself this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward god you know I wonder how Jesus said this because when i've read it in the past i always read it as if Jesus is saying it with frustration but now that i've been studying it i wonder if he says it with pity and with sadness you know, like, you fool, who's going to get your stuff now? You know, all this stuff you've stored up for yourself, and who's going to get it now? Someone else. Because, you know, generosity is a limited opportunity. There's going to come a time when time's up. And God's going to look at you, and he's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? You can say, remember that time I gave you that extra? What did you do with it? Did you give it to those who didn't have any? Or did you hoard it away for yourself and build bigger barns? So now do you see how foolish? He was foolish because he was living like this life is all there is. He's living it for himself. And Jesus is like, you're a fool. You missed your opportunity. You thought life was all about you. That life doesn't consist in the abundance of possessions. There's more to this life than this life. It's like we put all our hopes and our dreams in our stuff. And this guy's so passionate about his inheritance and his brothers keeping, him something, keeping something from him. And Jesus, fix this. And Jesus is like, stop fighting over money. You can't take it with you. You got bigger problems than money. You need to watch your greed. You know, he didn't even deal with the inheritance issue. He went beyond that, and he went straight to the heart of the issue. And he says, be on guard. Because, listen, when we think that somebody's trying to get something past us, trying to cheat us out of something, we get on our guard, right? And Jesus is saying, you don't need to be on your guard about this. You need to be guarding your heart against your greed. So how do we protect ourselves? Because greed, I'm telling you, greed is sneaky, and it will sneak into your heart, and it will sneak into your mind before you even know it. And it will affect every part of your lives. So that's why we have to be aware. So how do we protect ourselves? Look back at verse 21. It says, This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. So this is how it is for people who are not rich toward God. So we protect ourselves by being rich towards God. But what does that mean? Well, Jesus uses it in a contrast because, on the one hand, you have people who are laying up treasure for themselves, and on the other hand, you have people who are being rich towards God. So they're opposites. So you could put it this way and say that we are rich towards God when we are generous to others. So we can do things with, God, with our money that honors God, we can honor Him. With our money, we have the ability to do that and to bring him pleasure through that. So here's the question Do you think that every blessing that comes to you is for you? So, I mean, this guy had a good year, right? He had extra, he had more than he thought he would, and he assumed that the extra was all for him. And you know what assuming does it is not good to assume. So, (laughs) but I see how he can think this, right? I see how he can think this. He's thinking, it's my farm, it's my field, it's my crops, it's my extra, right? I see how he can get there. The irony, though, is that he's a farmer. And if anybody knows that your livelihood depends on God, it's a farmer, right? But he may have felt like, you know, this is my land, but who made that land? God? He may think, "Well, I planted the seeds." Well, who made the seeds? God? Who made the rain that watered the seeds? God? Everything we have is of God and from God. Even if you're not a farmer, even if you're not a farmer, it, you know, well, I, I earned that by the sweat of my brow. Well who made that brow? I'm smart. I used my brain. I made that happen. Who made that brain? Who gave you that ability? God. Everything that we have is of God and from God and through God and for God. If we viewed life like that, if we viewed life like that, if we saw God behind every situation, maybe we would view extra differently. So when you have extra, do you assume the extra is all for you? And I'm not trying to talk about socialism. I'm not trying to talk about, you know, government-enforced distribution of wealth. But I'm talking about, this is about you work hard, you know, because the Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. If you have the ability to work and you choose not to, you don't eat. But I'm saying you work hard and you be generous. Both. Work hard and be generous. And I'm not saying that you can't keep some for yourself because I believe that God wants you to keep some for yourself. He's blessing you. But what if any time any of us came across any extra, you know, a promotion, a bonus, an inheritance, we say, okay, I've, I've got a roof over my head. I've got a car. I've got food in my refrigerator. I'm doing well. And instead of rushing to build bigger barns, what if we took a minute and we prayed and we thanked God for all those blessings and we asked him if there's someone else around us that we needed to bless? Because if you earnestly ask God that, he'll bring somebody to your mind. He will put somebody in your mind that you would not have normally thought of that needs a blessing from you. Because that's how God blesses people is through his people, through us. Because maybe this blessing is something that's supposed to, instead of something that's supposed to go to you, maybe it's something that's supposed to go through you. And you have this opportunity for generosity because life is more than the abundance of possessions. So the main point of this parable is not to be generous. The main point is to watch out for the dangers of coveting and greed. He tells the story of this guy who lives his life in a selfish manner. A selfish rather than generous, and then he died. And he says, Okay, let's examine his life choices. Now, do you want to rethink yours? You know, that's that's kind of the point of the story. But the main point is is not just to watch out for greed, but it's it's that generosity guards against greed. That's how you can keep from being greedy. It's to be generous. But don't get me wrong, it's not bad to want things. If you're not careful, though, you'll start wanting those things more than you want Jesus. That's where the problem comes in. And Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us that is so much better than any HGTV home makeover that we could ever dream up. So much better. So you need to check your heart. I need to check my heart and make sure that we don't want these things more than we want Jesus. And some of you say, well, you know, if God gave me a lot of money, I would totally be generous with it. Well, let me say this. If you're not generous right now, God's probably never going to give you a lot of money. He's not. Because the Bible says that he who is entrusted with a little can be trusted with much. And the context of that is finances. So if you're trustworthy with a little, he'll give you some more, but if you can't handle what he's already given you, then why in the world would he give you more? And I'm not saying that we, we give in order to get, but we want to be good stewards, and good stewards are more likely to have God to entrust them with more for their stewardship. It's not how much you get, it's what you do with what you're given. your heart's motivation behind that so now what should he have done well he should have spent some money to pay his bills you know it's okay to take care of himself but he should have been generous towards God and towards others and it's like I think about the the best modern day example of this that I could give you would be uh, pastor Rick Warren Many of you are familiar with Rick Warren. He's a pastor of Saddleback Church out in California. And actually, we have a couple in our first service that used to attend Saddleback uh, under Rick Warren. But he wrote The Purpose Driven Life. How many of you have read The Purpose Driven Life book? Okay, quite a few of you. Uh, it's a great book, fantastic book. We actually have some of them here if you wanted to get one uh, because we went through it as a church years ago. Uh, but it's a fantastic book. It's, the, it's actually the best-selling book in the English language Other than the Bible. Yeah, so he sold a lot of copies. A lot. And he made a lot, a lot of money off of that book. And so what did he do with that money? Well, first, he paid back, I think it was like 25 years of salary to his church. Everything his church had ever paid him, he paid back to his church. And then he began reverse tithing. So he started giving away 90% of his income and keeping 10%. And let me tell you, that 10% is still a lot. <laughs> and so, you know, I think if, if Rick Warren lives in a big house, which he probably does, and if he drives a nice car, and if he has a big comfy chair in his living room and heated seats in his car, I don't think Jesus is mad about that. I, don't think, I think Jesus is like, good for you, get the heated seats. You know, because he knows his heart, and he knows he's generous. And, you know, we have that opportunity as well, maybe with a few less zeros, and maybe with some different percentages, but we have that percentage as well. You know, you say, well, if I was rich, then I would be generous. If I, if I was rich, then I would tithe, you know then I would challenge you to define rich. You know, because if you have a roof over your head and clean water to drink, then by the world's standards, by the world's statistics, you are rich. I am rich, we are rich. Not to mention if you have a car to drive, air conditioning in your house, food in your refrigerator, and your cabinet, and your pantry. Electricity to charge your cell phone that's connected to your Wi Fi. I mean, I can keep going. We are rich. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. Unless you worship your wealth more than you worship God. Because, see, God actually wants to bless you, He doesn't require you to live in a cardboard box and beg for food to be pleased with you. He wants to bless you so that you can bless others. And then he can bless you some more, and you can bless others some more, and it's just a win-win situation, right? Win-win for everyone. He wants you to be a good steward. He wants you to work hard and pay your bills and take care of your family and give to your church and contribute to your society. Leave a legacy. Make a difference. And then when you get to heaven, he can look at you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You didn't worship your wealth. You worshiped with your wealth. It's a huge opportunity. And do you see the irony in this story? These two guys are fighting over an inheritance. Do you know why they have an inheritance? Because somebody died. You know why you don't have to fight over an inheritance? Because Jesus died. And as a child of God, the inheritance that you have coming to you is greater than you could ever ask, dream, or imagine. So listen to me, please, like the title of my sermon said. Don't settle for the American dream. Have the kingdom of God dream. Don't live for that day when you can eat, drink, and be merry. That day may never come. I'm sure, enjoy your life. Enjoy your life, but live it for God. Live it for the day when Jesus comes. Which leads me to our next parable in verse 35, where Jesus is talking about preparing for his return. He says, Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this, if the owner of the house had Had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. In the early church, there was an air of expectancy of the return of Jesus, there was an excitement for the return of Jesus. Today, we don't seem so excited. We need to live with an air of expectancy, with an air of excitement. And then we'll be ready no matter when he comes. Whether it be 11 o'clock on Sunday morning or 11 o'clock on Friday night. We're ready. So here's the thing. To be ready, we have to get ready. He's coming at an hour that we don't expect him. Not because he's trying to sneak up and surprise us and catch us doing something we're not supposed to do. He's told us he's coming, right? It shouldn't be a surprise. He's told us he's coming. But it's just like in the days of the flood, all of the people, they were eating and drinking. They were getting married. They were just living these normal lives. And then the flood came and swept them all away, except for Noah, because he was ready. So, how do we get ready for the coming of Jesus? It said, be dressed and ready for service. In some versions, say ready for action. In the King James Version says, gird up your loins. <laughs> I like that one. Because this was a common expression back then because the men they wore these long robes and the, and they were very comfortable, you know, when they were just doing normal things and they're around the house and they're walking and all of those things they were comfortable and airy and and cool. But when they needed to take action, when they needed to get something done, when they needed to move, they would gird up their loins, which meant that they would pull their robes up and they would tie them or they would belt them to where they were up and out of the way so that they could move quickly, so that they would be ready for action. So he's saying, gird up your loins, get ready for action, get ready for service. Always be prepared to serve God. And serving God doesn't mean that you have to be a pastor or a missionary. Wherever you are in life, there's a mission for you. There's a mission for God. You serve God by serving his people, and you can serve his people wherever you're at in everything you do by being a good witness of him, by being a listening ear, a helping hand, by being kind, by being generous. But you don't do those things when you're only thinking of yourself. I don't know where you all work, but let me ask you this. If you work in a a factory or a restaurant or an office or wherever you work, if I were to go into your work and I were to ask them, or if I were to tell them, if I were to tell your coworkers, if I were to tell your clients or your customers, if I were to tell them that you were a Christian, would they be surprised? Or would they already know that from your actions? Because if they would be surprised, then you ain't got your, your loins girded. You need to gird your loins. You got to be ready for action at all times. Get in the game. You know, some people say with their mouth that they follow God, but they say with their life that they don't. Don't be that person. Gird your loins. Back it up, put your words into action, live it out. And yeah, you're gonna mess up, but messing up doesn't make you a hypocrite. Insincerity does. Number two, keep your lamps burning. Keep your lamps burning. The concept was that back then they didn't have electricity. So when somebody went away and they were expecting them to come back, they would leave the light on for them, like Motel 6. <laughs> they would leave the light on for them so that they would know where to go back to, right? It's like when we go camping and, and, and Roger and Carl go out fishing late at night. We put the lamp, we put the lantern down by the water so that they can see the light, so that they know where to come back to, so that they know where to pull their boat up to. Because we are expecting them to come back, we need to be expecting Jesus to come back, waiting expectantly. And number three, be ready to immediately open the door. Have you ever? been really excited about somebody coming to your house and you're like peeking out the window to see if they're coming down the driveway and you're checking all of your house you're making sure everything's where it's supposed to be you checking yourself making sure you're still looking good you know because you're excited right you're excited about them coming you're expecting them that's how we should be about the coming of the Lord it's like when my girls were little and Roger would come home from work And he would come through that door, and no matter what they were doing, they dropped everything. Daddy, daddy! They'd go running for the door. And he'd pick them up and swing them around and hug them and kiss them. Because they were so excited to see him. They were so excited for that reunion, even though he'd only been gone a few hours. They were so excited that their father had come home. That's how it should be when our father comes home. Faithful servants will be ready at any time, even if it's the middle of the night. They're always ready. They're not like, oh, wait just a minute, Jesus. Let me get rid of these magazines that I don't want you to see me looking at. Let me turn off this television show that I'm sure you wouldn't want to watch. Wait just a minute, Jesus. Just a minute. Let me get ready. No. A faithful servant is always ready. He doesn't have to get ready because he is ready. Jesus doesn't say get ready, he says stay ready, be ready, be seeking his will, be moving in his direction at all times. Where you work, where you play, where you stay, wherever you are, let him be the center of your existence. Because listen, when you're dressed and ready for something, you don't look like everybody else. Okay, just a couple of weeks ago, Roger and I went to Cameron and Sonata's wedding. And after that, we had a cookout to go to. And We didn't have any time in between. So we were really dressed up for a wedding. And we were really overdressed for a cookout. Because when you're dressed and ready, you don't look like everybody else. Right? When your life is dressed and ready... For the coming of Christ, you don't look like, you don't act like everybody else. And that's, that's a good thing. Verse 39, but understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Different analogy, but same point. Thieves don't make appointments, right? They'll say, I'm going to break into your house at 1.30 in the morning. No. Thieves don't make appointments. All right? You don't know when they're coming, just like you don't know when Jesus is coming back. So anybody ever tells you that they know when the Lord's coming back, you can pretty well guess that's not when the Lord's coming back because nobody knows. You just got to be ready. But listen, if you live like this, then you're ready to live Because I promise you, your life will be better if you live it for Jesus. And you'll be ready to die because your eternity is secure. And you'll be ready if the Lord comes back. So you got all your bases covered. You're ready. Because we live in a world that we have 24 7 access, we know everything that's going on. We got Snapchat, we got Facebook, we got Twitter, we got Instagram. We got the weather app. We know everything that's going on, right? But it's distracting us from what's really going on because the Lord's coming back. It's like this quote by C.S. Lewis. He's talking about when Jesus comes back, and he says, It will be too late then to choose your side. There's no use saying you choose to lie down when it has become impossible to stand up. In other words, when the Lord comes back, there's no use in saying then that you believe when it would become impossible to not believe, right? Because at that time, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But he says that will not be the time for choosing. It will be the time when we discover which side we really have chosen, whether we realized it before or not. Now today, this moment Is our chance to choose the right side. God is holding back to give us that chance. It will not last forever. We must take it or leave it. So the bottom line is the only way to be ready when He comes is to be ready all the time, to gird up your loins, to keep your lamp burning to be ready to swing that door wide open and welcome your father home. So in closing this morning, I'd like to ask everybody to just bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. I'd like you to get real personal for just a moment. Be honest. If the Lord comes back tomorrow... Are you ready? Just take a moment to get to get real personal with God right now, and just be honest and just say, God, you know, I I haven't taken you seriously. God, I've been lazy. God, I've been distracted. I've been selfish. I'm fearful, Lord. I'm fearful of what it looks like to truly follow you in every aspect of my life. I'm fearful of what other people will think and other people will say if I truly follow you. Just be real honest with him. Whatever it is, whatever it is that's keeping you From following God full-heartedly, just with your whole life, whatever it is, lay it down. Just lay it down. Gird up your loins. Get ready to live for him boldly. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come to you this morning, Lord. We humble ourselves before you, Lord, our mighty Savior. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your warnings. We thank you for your teaching. Lord, help us to follow. Convict us, Lord, of those areas in our lives where we're not following you full-heartedly. Lord, strengthen us to be all that you created us to be. Lord, help us to to be more generous, to notice the the needs around us, Lord. That in everything we say and everything we do, may we glorify you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.